Give us one hour and we'll help you change the way you think about happiness. Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a fresh talk radio approach promoting happiness from the inside out. Happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. Each week, Lisa shines her light on well-being and global human flourishing by presenting a diverse and proactive collection of the greatest thinkers and doers who have devoted their lives to creating a better world in which to live. Lisa Cypress-Kamen is a widely recognized applied positive psychology coach, author, documentary filmmaker, and lecturer specializing in the fields of sustainable happiness, mindfulness, and integrated well-being. Let's get to it. Here's your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio, broadcasting consciously prepared brain food from the beaches of Malibu, California. Each week we explore the very serious business of happiness, sustainable well-being, and human flourishing. We are not talking about that annoying yellow smiley face. No, no, no. We are talking about something much deeper and critical to the success of humanity. Authentic happiness is not selfish, egotistical, or narcissistic. In fact, it is essential in order for humankind to thrive. Sustainable happiness is important because it not only elevates our own well-being locally, but also contributes to collective global flourishing. The achievement of a happy life is not only positively good for us, it is constructively good for those around us. In short, happiness matters. Happiness comes from the heart, and this show is most definitely all about the heart. Well, we are turning the page on the calendar to a new year, and some might say the future is here. We're talking about the future. That is exactly what we want to focus on. And with me today in the studio is Joyce Joya. She began her business career as an entrepreneur at a very early age, the tender age of 14, when she founded her first company, Jack and Jill Parties for Children. Later, at the age of 28, she was the youngest national magazine publisher in the world. Today, Joyce is the president and CEO of the Herman Group of Companies, as well as Employer of Choice International, Inc. She is a certified management consultant and a certified speaking professional focusing on the human side of enterprise. As a business futurist, Joyce Herman's Trend Alert is distributed to 29,000 people in 87 countries in four languages every week. Joyce provides a unique combination of high-tech and high-touch. She helps her diverse clients prepare for tomorrow. Joyce is often quoted in the media, including Business Week, Entrepreneur, The Christian Science Monitor, USA Today, and National Public Radio. She serves clients throughout the globe. Joyce earned her BA in Communications and Languages from the University of Denver, her MBA from Fordham, MSc, and MSTH from the New Seminary. Welcome, Joyce. Thanks for joining us. You know, Lisa, it's so important for people to focus on happiness. And when I saw that th- that was the name of your radio show, I was very excited because I believe that we're here on this planet for two reasons. One is to realize our full potential as human beings. And the other is to provide love and support for each other. So I'm really looking forward to our time together this morning to talk about how people can know what's coming and therefore create a fantastic new year for themselves. Wonderful. You've mentioned to me that travel is one of your passions, that it's very much a necessary component to the work that you do um, towards what you do in your life. But you love to travel and you you wanted to share with us, and I'm so excited that you do, um, some tips about the future of travel and how we can accommodate ourselves to what's coming down the pike. It's interesting that the, the, the future of travel is dependent upon many things that, over which we have no control. But there are some things over which we do have control as well. We are seeing more and more bad weather. Uh, All you have to do is look at the weather reports and the forecasts to know that something is happening with the climate. My husband is fond of saying 
97% of the climate scientists in the world recognize that something is very significantly happening with our climate and the other 3% live in our home state of Texas. <laughs> it's very frustrating to me to meet intelligent people who just don't get it. And this is not just global warming. This is dislocations of climate. So what we're seeing is not only that we're, we're seeing the temperature go up in certain places, but we're also seeing Mother Nature being given more building blocks for severe storms. Now, that will have an impact on travel <laughs> very definitely because travel depends on our having decent weather to fly. Interestingly, I discovered in my research that airplanes can't fly when the temperature is over 117 degrees. Huh. We may get there before very long. So we're what's really needed, and I sent a letter to Doug Parker, who is the mm -hmm. chairman of, of uh, U.S. Airways, what used to be U.S. Airways, what's now American Airlines, and I said, you really need now to be putting together a cross-functional team to talk about the new normal because a new normal is here today and it's changing rapidly to get even more challenging for them in the future. And what I mean by that is that we've got more severe weather. There are going to be more cancellations when mechanicals happen Typically, there's no excess capacity that the airlines have. So people end up, it, it takes some people days to get to where they need to go, if they can even get there at all in some cases. Let's, um, let's talk a little bit about the actual impact of this global warming in terms of flight cancellations. You mentioned accommodations of, of flyers when this does occur and the ripple effect, as you said, about it taking days oftentimes to get back home, but what that does to the workforce, how it impacts um, companies, the bottom line, um, strategic meetings that are planned, and how perhaps the virtual climate or the virtual world can take over and replace some of the actual physical travel. I mean, that's where my, my mind goes to. If we know there's a snowstorm coming, which we do have, you know, a, a decent enough uh, level of predictability, how do we accommodate in that way? We have seen that very thing recently, uh, particularly here in Austin, Texas, when Obama came to give a speech and when he came to give a speech, many of the employers said, work from home. We are going to see more and more employers saying, work from home. And that makes infinite sense because everybody wins when employers give that kind of flexibility. And by the way, it's one of the most highly prized benefits that employers can give to their people is that flexibility of place and space, of time and space. And this is something, if we're talking about future careers and the future of the job market, that um, I believe it's in combating some of the offshore, the outsourcing of customer service. We're seeing a trend now of domestic customer service that are home-based businesses. So you might have a stay-at-home mom who's acting as a customer service representative for a major airlines. In fact, I know JetBlue does this. Actually, it's been here for years. It's called Willow. It's a company that I wrote about in my trend alert probably 15 years ago. It's, it, I was so excited when I heard about it because I felt like it was really a harbinger of things to come. And yes, indeed, and, and that's really interesting because it's an example of something else as well. The homemakers and other stay-at-home folks are actually free agents. So they are contractors. They do, they do not work for Willow. They are contractors to Willow, and then Willow contracts them to the airlines and the hotels and all that. But but we're seeing 
it's a very another very interesting trend along the lines that you sort of talked about, and it's something called home shoring. And I ran into home shoring when I awarded one of our employers of choice, and it's a company called Sedgwick Claims Management Services. I think they call themselves Sedgwick CMS. It's, and it's grown like Topsy because it's such a great place to work and everybody wants to work for that employer of choice. One of the things that they have done is this lake shoring. And it, it, it's called lake shoring. And lake shoring means to find a market with a lower standard of living and therefore you don't have to pay people as much that happens to be within the boundaries of the U.S. And so they get to have the ability to say, yes, all of our call centers are here in the United States, and yet they're still driving more profit to the bottom line. This is fascinating. I just We're going to go to a break in a couple minutes, but when we do, when we come back, we'll talk more about how outsourcing and creating this niche of, of home-based businesses that are really part of a larger network. This is what I'm also seeing is the trend. It's not just the homemaker who's doing a craft business out of the home. These people are participating in a major corporate marketplace and, and, and contributing to the bottom lines of huge companies. They are indeed, and that is a trend which we will see increase is the the move to more service businesses, small service businesses, and that's where the growth is in our economy as well. Yeah. Um, uh, we are going to take a break. I want to give your contact information. Your website is hermangroup.com. On Twitter, you can be found at Joyce Joya, and that's G-I-O-I-A. And on Facebook, you are Joyce Joya in Austin, Texas. And we need to put the emphasis on the Austin, Texas. We are I guess so. Well, I, well, I, I, I didn't know that there was more than one of me. Well, I, I, I guess I didn't either, but I, but I see here that that's, that that's the name of your page. So there must be, there must be, right? I guess so. We're going to take that break. And when we come back, we'll return to the conversation about the future being now and Joyce's prediction for the years ahead, looking out to 2030. Here come those tunes. We will be right back. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Happiness is an inside job. Wear the message on t-shirts, baseball caps, sterling silver designer jewelry, and more. Please visit our online boutique at www.harvestinghappiness.com. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on Toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. 
Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because it's kind, it's free, it's legal, and we're talking about the future now. As we turn the page to the new year, we are looking to 2017 and beyond with futurist Joyce Joya. Joyce, let's talk about planes, trains, automobiles, and the automation of these modes of transportation and how it will affect our ride in the years to come. The truth is that many of us, Lisa, are going to lose our jobs to robots. And I do television segments, actually, and one of the television segments that I I love doing is how three mistakes to avoid to not lose your job to a robot. Because there, are, there's so much automation now, and believe me, it's not just the low, the low wage, low skill jobs. Not at all, because CPAs, doctors, lawyers, and in fact, a friend of mine is developing a robotic lawyer. If you can believe that. <laughs> But even airplanes, the 777 flies itself. Who knew? Wow. Now, I have experienced landings, many landings, that seemed like they were too good to be to have been the work of a human being. And in fact, they weren't. They were the computer landing the plane. And it was so smooth and it felt so good. And you know, most of the passengers just are oblivious to it. And that is something that can get, in, get us in trouble if we don't have highly skilled, highly trained pilots who keep practicing doing it manually just in case. Old school. I mean, like you know, we can take all this technology, but if there is no old school backup to uh, secure ourselves when things go wrong and systems do fail. I mean, this is one thing that um, history indicates and we know will happen. Electronics fail, systems fail, there are glitches. I mean, there are glitches in our technology when we record a a radio show. I mean, it just happens. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, that is true. That is very true. But the, the first pilotless planes will be the ones that take the cargo. FedEx, UPS, there's no reason to have a pilot on those aircraft. No reason whatsoever. Hmm. Because, I mean, look at drones. We can control drones. Why shouldn't we be able to control airplanes? So, and which is not only that, but choice, we have choice, autonomous me, cars that think for themselves. Choice, so what we're going to have here. eventually is autonomous airplanes that think for themselves. Joyce, let me just jump in here for a second because I want to clarify what you're saying, that when we're, we're contrasting a drone operator versus somebody who's piloting a jumbo jet, and you're saying that there's no reason to have a pilot on that plane. Are you saying that there is a, a skilled human being on the ground that has access to all the commands of that plane up in the air? That it's not exactly autonomously correct. flying? Exactly correct. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but that's an important point. That while there's nobody up there at 35,000 feet, there is somebody at sea level that is commandeering that vehicle. Oh, yes. Controlling and and telling it what to do. Yes. However, what's coming eventually as we have autonomous cars, right? Yeah. We have we have. And and by the way, Austin has been chosen by Google to be its second test market for autonomous cars. Can't wait to look over one day and see a car that's driving itself. Uh, because Google is here with its employees, so they want to be able to give rides to their employees. Makes a lot of sense to me. We're going to have autonomous airplanes. There is no question in my mind. The autonomous car. Eventually, those airplanes won't even need the person controlling from the ground. Going back to what you're saying about the autonomous car and how travel impacts us as human beings, when you think about an elderly person who may not um, be well equipped to drive, the freedom that it will give that man or woman to go out to maintain a social life, to get where he or she needs to go, that's pretty cool. 
and the older person will be able to maintain their social networks, to maintain their activity level, and there's no question that that's going to be a tremendous support for that cohort of the population. And dignity. You know, the preservation of dignity to have one's autonomy is pretty huge. What about the flight attendant? <laughs> are, are we looking for a, ro- a, ro- a robotic uh, steward? You know, I know, I know we're not supposed to use that word, but is that what's coming? I would say it's going to be about 15 years before that is true. But yes, that is probably going to happen as well. So the age Certainly, of the Jetsons is upon us. It is indeed. Automation is likely to affect something like 70% of our jobs. And companies are applying automation as fast as they can because machines don't quit. (laughs) It's just that simple. Um, Machines are loyal. (laughs) <laughs> and there are ro- robots that you can buy. In fact, one of them won an award from an organization that I'm associated with. I serve on the steering committee for the Edison Awards. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to remember the, the name of this robotic organization's company, but I, I can't. But for $20,000, you can get a robot that will basically put things in boxes or do other simple tasks that would take the place of a person who would belong to a union, who would get sick, who, whom you would have to pay for health care. You can't hire an employee anymore, to even to pack boxes for $20,000 a year. And that's not $20,000 a year. That's $20,000 forever. Yeah, yeah. No, I hear you. And and there's the good news because of what it does to quality control. And then there's the bad news of what it does by um, eliminating jobs. But in that, there is also a silver lining because from that, as the futurist, I'm sure you can talk to about new job markets that are emerging and will open up as a result of this shift. Except that the big issue, and it's huge, it looms as a a, a giant elephant in the room for employers, is that the workforce is not prepared. We don't have a STEM literate workforce that we can put in front of a computer and let the computer teach the person a new skill, a, a uh, a new piece of software, because they're just not there. We really, really, really need to focus on workforce development in the, throughout the whole country. It's the biggest issue economically that the United States faces. Yeah, I, I, I would agree. Going back to the robot, um, as you were talking about the robot that packs boxes, Pepper, you know, the the emotional robot comes to my mind. And I know that in Japan, when they put Pepper up for sale for the first time, I think it was back in the summer of 2015, they sold out in minutes. Yes, they did. Uh Uh-huh. I I remember reading that. And it it has something else to do also with the Japanese economy. Uh, I'm sorry, the Japanese culture and how much they feel like they need to take care of uncle and auntie. It's, it's the Asian culture. And they believe that giving this as a support for their elderly relative will be a tremendous opportunity, not only for that person, but also that it would free up some of their emotional energy and, and time to be able to focus on, on themselves as well. makes a lot of sense. And you know what else sold out very well in Japan? Was the animals, the robot animals. Oh, yes. What they called gigapets or something like that? No, no. These are actual animatronic robots. If we had, uh, if we had Skype with pictures, I would show you one. I bought one for my husband. I am allergic to cats, and I thought that if I could buy 
a, a robot for my my husband that in fact he would feel like he no longer needed to have a cat. Unfortunately, <laughs> that did not happen to be the case. That did not turn out. Uh, I, I, I wish that it had because Pixel is adorable and she's sweet and she purrs and she moves around like she was a, reg- a real cat, but it's not the same. And unfortunately, he doesn't mind scooping out the litter box, which Pixel never messed in. <laughs> um, it's funny. But it- and, and so I am a dog person who has a cat. Uh, it, it, but, you know, we are almost out of time, but I just wanted to, to kind of close out this segment with the, the, the thought about humanity and emotion and our emotional life cannot be replaced. We talk about the future and the development yes. of technology and sort of the, the soft sides of humanity. There really is no substitute. No, let me, let me tell you what I've told so many audiences. I, when I talk about the future of conventions and tourism and, and travel, I talk about the fact that there will never be a substitute for two human beings sharing the same physical space. Because when that happens, there is an exchange of energy that takes place that is simply not duplicate. You cannot duplicate with pixels and electronics, at least not yet. <laughs> and, and I actually hope never, because this, this is what makes life interesting. Thank you, Joyce Joya, for being with us today. To learn more about Joyce Joya and her work, please visit hermangroup.com. On Twitter, you may find her at Joyce Joya, and on Facebook, Joyce Joya in Austin, Texas. Thanks for joining us, Joyce. We're going to go to a break. Here come those tunes, and we'll be right back. Stay ahead of the curve. Oh, yes. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Nothing gives happiness like a free gift. Lisa Cypress Kamen has made her first ebook, Got Happiness Now? Eight Keys to Unlocking a Joyful Life, available at no cost to everyone. Unwrap your complimentary copy now by visiting www.harvestinghappinesstalkradio.com. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. If you're just joining us now, I urge you to download and share this podcast. Why? Because sharing is caring. And we're talking about futurism. We're talking about what's happening in 2017, predictions for a future that are sure to color your world. And my next guest has been doing just that. Leatris Eisman is a color specialist who has been called the international color guru. She heads the Eisman Center for Color Information and Training is, and is also the executive director of the Pantone Color Institute. Lee has been widely quoted in many publications and recognized by Fortune Magazine and the Wall Street Journal as one of the most influential people in the world of color. She is the author of nine books on color with a 10th on the way in 2017, and she delivers consulting and seminars worldwide. And you might wonder what's so important about color. Well, we all love living in color. 
it color affects everything from the clothing we wear to the colors that we paint our homes, interior and exterior, to the nail polish that we choose and even the makeup we wear and more. There's also the psychology of color and how color impacts how we think and feel. Welcome, Litris. Thanks for joining us. I'm delighted to be here with you. Well, this is fun because color makes us happy or color even has the power to impact us negatively and make us sad. That's true. Let's talk about the color of the year. What is trending in 2017? Well, if we're looking at the color of the year, uh, we know that that is something that we can always look forward to seeing a great deal of. Uh, It is a color that uh, resonates for a lot of people today because it is the color called Pantone Greenery. And just as we see green in nature in the world surrounding us, we recognize instantaneously when we look at the color it generally represents to people uh, the idea of nature. And the reason that it was chosen as the color of the year was that uh, we're living in, as we know, stressful times. And uh, people are looking for a way to reconnect uh, with the solace that they get from nature. The Japanese call it the art of Shinrin-yoku, where you literally take a walk in the forest and you are then prompted to take deep breaths because when you're surrounded by greenery, that's what you're inclined to do. And as a result, uh, there's a feeling of relaxation that comes over you, a feeling of getting away from Um, anything that is plastic and getting into something which feels more real. And so for us, it was was a kind of no-brainer choice because we felt that as a symbolic color of choice, it really represented what people are telling us they are looking for in the coming years. So who is the collective we that decides these things? Because color trending is and forecasting is done way in advance, right? It's not something that you just get around at the last minute at the end of the year and say, you know what, let's pick green for 2017. There's a lot of thought and process and timing that goes into this. Yes, exactly. We start collecting our tidbits, are looking for what colors are on the ascendancy uh, well into the year ahead of when we make the announcement. So as I'm traveling around the world, and that collective we includes some of the people that I work with at Pantone, who also, uh, just as I do, travel the world, uh, go to trade shows, see what the upcoming trends are, uh, talk to other people in the field whose opinions we respect, watch what's happening in the world around us, talking to average consumers, just seeing what they're feelings are about color and what they would like to see happening with color. Uh, We look at the world of art uh, and pop art. We look at uh, things as obtuse as uh, even stage lighting. You know, you would not think that'd be something we'd be interested in. But when we see a direction going in a particular way, and I mentioned stage lighting because the theatrical application of color is something that is often a forerunner. Um, such as films, for one thing. When we looked at Doctor Strange, the new movie that was just released, we know that that's going to have an influence because the main character wears a green amulet uh, that has uh, rather mystical qualities attached to it. Uh, And so millions of people all over the world are going to be seeing that film and being then reminded of that green amulet that he wears. Uh, So it will start to pop up in in the collective imagination, and uh, those are just a few of the areas that we look at. Of course, fashion and cosmetics are always uh, a good indicator, but in today's world of graphic design and industrial design, product design, uh, anyone who's involved in the choice of color, and just about every company has to make up their minds about what color they're going to use for their product, for their brand image, and so on. Uh, everyone is really clued in, is watching uh, for the signals that we are watching for. But as trained colorists, I think that uh, we have a, a special kind of antenna uh, that, that really indicates to us the final direction we need to go in. So that's a long-winded answer to your question, 
But actually what I'm saying is that we do start well ahead of time to do our homework. It is not just a frivolous decision that's made at the last minute. It's something that does take a lot of forethought, a lot of time, uh, and a lot of reading and research to get to the point that, that we want to arrive at with color of the year. Two things come to mind. The first is, you know, forecasting the emotional compass of the public through color. Uh And Uh the second is um, how it applies. And you speak of the amulet in the the, the green amulet that is in this film that's coming out and how that will then impact um, color choices for marketing and branding. So on the personal side and then on the sort of more global business side, color is serious business. Oh, yes. There's no question of that. I mean, ask anyone who's involved in uh, developing any kind of a widget that needs to go out in the marketplace. There's a lot of anxiety that is behind what is the ultimate color choice that we make. And as a color consultant to many industries, uh, I have to be especially mindful of, first of all, the target audience. Who is it that they want to sell their product to? Uh, what demographic does that involve? What location is there? What is the mindset? Uh, again, that's all part of the homework that we need to do to arrive at the proper choice of a color, and not only the individual color of a product, but various colors that will surround that product or be used on that same product. So it involves generally more than one color. It involves a uh, a group of colors, a palette of colors, that then help to implement the major message that we're trying to get across. If it's brand image uh, for a company, that obviously is very important because this is the way that the company will be perceived of by the general uh, public, by their buying publics, uh, so to speak. And so that is a very cautious uh, choice as well. So, again, from a pragmatic business standpoint, there's an awful lot that goes into the final choice. Fascinating. And I'm, I'm looking at a color emotion guide, something that I had pulled up online, um, just out of curiosity about the what each color represents in terms of emotion or experience. And I'm looking at this little rainbow here and and yellow, of course, uh, indicating optimism and moving on down orange as friendly and cheerful, red, excitement, youthful, bold, and, and so on and so forth. And then I get down to the bottom with this green that you're talking about that is trending um, for 2017 and that it's about health and growth. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, health and growth are two very symbolic aspects of the color green for the reason that I mentioned is that most people, if you give them a, a color quiz, a word association, color word association quiz, which I have done for quite a while, uh, we will get responses back from those people who take the quiz and invariably nature is either number one or number two or somewhere top of, top of mind. And nature often brings to mind uh, health and wellness because we know that we, we should be exercising more, we should be eating good food, which often involves green vegetables. Uh, so the color green from that standpoint is, um, is very influential in how people feel about it. However, having said that, Uh, a a cautionary tale about color is that there are things that float around on the web that aren't necessarily viable or credible. So you have to be certain that when you are looking at resources that you are using a resource that really uh, takes their time to study uh, and get it right. And so that leads us to the overarching aspect of green. We are not talking about one shade of green here. I mean, obviously, for the color of the year we are. But if we look at the responses to green, we have to look at the variations of green that there are. And then when we make a choice about green, we have to be certain that we're putting it in the right context. So it's really important you know, to look at some of the things that you see on the web, and if they say never use this color for such and such and always use this color for such and such, you've got to take that uh, in, a, in a precautionary way because what shade of green are we talking about or any color, and what is the ultimate usage of that color? 
these things have to come into play. As I like to say, it, you know, in real estate, it's location, location, location. <laughs> With color, it's context, context, context. Yeah. How Isn't... and where are we using it and to whom? We are going to need to go to a break. But before we do, I want to give your contact information. To learn more about Leatrice Eisman, please visit LeatriceEisman.com. Or you can find, excuse me, the frog in my throat. You can find out more at www.colorexpert.com. And you can find Litris on Twitter at Litris Eisman and on Facebook, the same page, Litris Eisman. Here come the tunes. We will be, we will be right back. And that is a promise. We are going to color your world with more when we return. We know that life is tough and that happiness can and does live along with adversity. We'll be right back to explain how on Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on toginet.com. Like us on Facebook at Harvesting Happiness and on Twitter at HH Talk Radio. Lisa returns with more of Harvesting Happiness following this short break. Are you or do you know a returning U.S. military man or woman in need of restoring joy in their lives? Did you know that our nonprofit, Harvesting Happiness for Heroes, offers stigma-free combat trauma and post-deployment reintegration programming? Check us out at www.hh4heroes.org. That's HH, the number four, and heroes.org. Like what you hear on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio? Subscribe to us on iTunes and get your weekly dose of joy downloaded free and easily to your computer or portable device. That's Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio on iTunes. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness with Lisa Cypress-Kamen on Toginet, the show dedicated to promoting happiness because happiness is a choice and happiness can be cultivated and harvested. So let's get back to it. It's Harvesting Happiness on toginet.com. And now back to your host, Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Welcome back to Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. We are talking about the future, predictions in the coming year for color and the world at large. And with me today is Latrice Eisman. She is a color expert. She is a consultant. She is an author. Um, and prior to the break, we began the discussion about the psychology of color and how color literally colors our world and our emotions. And Latrice, let's talk a little bit about how we select color for our spaces, how for instance, in hospitals and in schools, colors are selected to Im impact the well-being of the students or the patients. Well, yes, uh, they should be used for that purpose. It's not always successful, but <laughs> in any event, uh, we're, that's always our hope. Uh, we, we know that specific colors from a general standpoint do e emote uh, a certain feeling and evoke a certain feeling. Uh, naturally, that can change from person to person. You know, we all were raised in different ways, uh, have different cultures that we come from, different areas of the world we come from, where there are certain beliefs uh, and, and cultural uh, aspirations as far as color is concerned. So there's a lot that enters into the personal choice of color. Nevertheless, uh, because of the fact that, that we've been gathering information and there's a lot of research that's gone into this, there are general aspects of color that we, we can start out with as a given. For example, from a, uh, a cultural standpoint as well as a standpoint of how most people will feel about a color, if we look at the yellow family, uh, give any child a box of crayons, and, you know, practically every kid has something colorful that they want to play with because it's a very natural instinct. But give them a box of crayons, and invariably the yellow crayon will come out, and immediately there is a big ball at, up at the upper right-hand or left-hand corner uh, of the page uh, wherever they want to put the sun in the sky with little spokes coming out around it. I mean, that is just such a natural instinct. So for most people in most cultures, yellow denotes sunshine. It denotes warmth. It's something we are drawn to 
for obvious reasons. We're drawn to the warmth of the sun, the splendor of the sun. In some cultures, such as Indonesia, where I've traveled, uh, they literally uh, have parades that celebrate the sun color, as they call it, yellow. And their reason is a little bit more practical in that their belief is the yellow sun makes everything grow. And when you make everything grow, including the plants that you eat, everyone prospers as a result. So that's one culture, but in many cultures, that is the attitude. Uh, by the way, there is this this rumor that has flown around on online that is absolutely not true. Don't paint a baby's room in yellow because it makes babies cry, and that's absolutely ridiculous. It, it has no basis in meaning, uh, it, or in fact, it was just a kind of one of those party rumors that gets started and, and, and is circulated. Because with most cultures, it is the heat of the sun, the warmth of the sun, and it also then uh, connotes a certain optimism. So there are those positive things. Now, obviously, not everybody's going to feel that way about yellow. Maybe they fell off a yellow tricycle when they were six years old and weren't <laughs> able to go to school because they broke their leg. And there is some trauma that's attached to it. Therefore, they don't like color that color the rest of their lives. And, of course, my best advice to anyone who says, oh, I hate whatever the color is, let's look at the reasons why you're having that reaction. If we can talk about it and, and perhaps even put it in the context of remembering what it was, it's sort of a little bit like therapy, then we can kind of, you know, get over that hurdle. We're now adults. We, we're not riding around on a tricycle anymore. Let's let's try to enjoy the color. Uh, so we, we try to turn the negative into a positive. So for each of the color families, there is that uh, general uh, concept. Obviously, with red, it is excitement, it's dynamism, it's energy, um, it is fire, it's flame. Uh, there's a certain danger that's attached to that. You know, we cook our food with the flame, but at the same time, we learn as children we have to be careful and not stick our fingers in that flame. So there's always that positive-negative, uh, you know, strictly from a practical standpoint, too. Uh, blue is often thought of as the color of tranquility and serenity. We look at a beautiful blue sky. Your mother says to you when you're a child, oh, it's so beautiful out. You can go outside and play. It's not raining. And so that's what you do. Uh, however, at the same time, there are variations of the blue family. There's the more vibrant blue. Uh, there's the blue that is... Um, the exciting blue, uh, the, we call it electric blue, as a matter of fact, because that is exactly what the connotation is, the feeling of electricity. So that's not tranquil and serene. So obviously not all blues fall into that same category, but for the most part, sky blue does mean a kind of serenity. As far as green is concerned, we've already addressed the, the attachment to nature and well-being. Uh, brown is earth. But at the same time, over the years, the concept of brown has changed because there are now brown diamonds, and we can wear brown after five in a beautiful, uh, you know, beautiful taffeta dress. It's okay. It's no longer just a country color. So the concepts have changed about that. Um, orange is made up of yellow and red, happy, friendly, outgoing color. Uh, a hint of uh, the exotic that's attached, because if we think of it as a bird of paradise or some other beautiful flower from the tropics, again, the context of the color. What is it saying to us from that standpoint? Uh, purple, very enigmatic, interesting color made up of both red and blue, two diametrically opposed emotions, and yet we put them together and we come out of it with a very uh, a beautiful color that has energy on the one hand, but uh, a little bit of relaxation because the blue depends on how far you push it, how red it is, how blue it is. That's what gives it its meaning. So that kind of encapsulates <laughs> the the colors in the spectrum. Obviously, there's a lot more to learn about them, but that's kind of an overview. Many of us are afraid to play with color. You know, um, I am a former design student. That's where I fell in love with color and, and Pantone in particular. Um, but I, I wear a lot of black, you know. Mm -hmm. For somebody who mm -hmm. is afraid to play with color, how can you guide them 
to experiment? Is it um, getting a hold of some of the Pantone products? Is it going into a, um, a, like a Home Depot and standing in the paint department and playing with colors? What are some ways that we can invite people to, to play and have fun? Well, anyone who's a professional working with color, graphic designer, designer of, in any field is familiar with the Pantone books. Uh, and that certainly is a, a repository of many of the colors. There are more than 2,000 colors that we have developed in our textile uh, fashion world. We have uh, that wide a range to choose from. However, for the average person, I think everyone, all of your listeners out there, has been faced with that that decision-making, that painful decision, what color am I going to paint the living room walls? And uh, I think what you have to do is you do have to play with the color. You use that expression, and I think you have to take it in that light. Uh, let's, it, let's not turn it into something that's so laborious. Let's try to have fun with it. And there are so many examples of color that you can choose from when you go into the paint department, so many swatches you can bring home. And my, my first suggestion would be, let yourself react and respond to the color. Look at the colors, and those colors that you look at, and you say, oh, I really like that color. That's the area that you need to reach for first. Rather than being so concerned about what everybody else is saying or what your mother-in-law's opinion might be when she walks into the house, <laughs> you know, it, it, this is your place. This is your place to have fun and to experiment. And, of course, if you need help, and many people do value professionals' help, there are professional people who can help you reach that decision. But even as a professional, they will ask you, a good professional will ask you what your comfort level is, what you, what you might feel good with. Uh, they shouldn't be force-feeding you a color that you really don't respond to well. Um, and let yourself be a child again. You know, bring the swatches home, play with them, look at them. This one works, this doesn't work. And then we need to be a little practical. Where do you live? How much light comes into the house? Um, how much uh, do we? How much time do we spend during the day, in the evening, under natural light, under artificial light? Take that color and put it on a large poster board. Move it around during the day and at night. Test it under different lighting circumstances and see if you're still in love with that color and if it still works for you. So we we can make a fun experience out of this. It does not have to be tedious if you allow yourself to enjoy it and experiment with it beautifully said. We are out of time and I want to guide our listeners over to your websites, um, litriseisman.com or www.colorexpert.com. You have books over there you such as Messages and Meanings, A Pantone Color Resource, More Alive with Color, Personal Colors, Personal Style, and, and many more. Litris, thank you for joining us. It's my pleasure. And once again, my guest has just been Leatrice Eisenman. To learn more, you can visit colorexpert.com, on Twitter at Leatrice Eisenman, and on Facebook, Leatrice Eisenman. We have blown through another hour here, and I want to share a few thoughts before we part. Happiness is not a destination. It cannot be bought, sold, or traded. Happiness will never invite you to the party. Happiness simply comes down to a choice to show up each and every day in the world with passion, purpose, place, meaning, and lots of color. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio. This is Lisa Cypress-Kamen and my guest today, Joyce Joya and Leatrice Eisman, wishing you kind thoughts, kinder words, and the kindest of actions. Until next time, remember, happiness is an inside job. Happiness is your inside job. Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio is produced in collaboration with Toginet and KBUU and is available on PRX, the public radio exchange. Go out and rock your day and rock your year. Thanks for joining us on Harvesting Happiness Talk Radio with Lisa Cypress-Kamen. Join us each and every Wednesday for a brand new broadcast and continue to harvest your own happiness anytime from the comfort of wherever you are with hundreds of free downloadable podcasts from our libraries on iTunes and SoundCloud. To learn more about Lisa's global practice as an applied positive psychology coach specializing in lifestyle management as well as addiction and trauma recovery services, please visit HarvestingHappiness.com. Spread more joy by liking us on Facebook 
Facebook at Harvesting Happiness, following Lisa on Twitter at Lisa Kamen, and tweeting us with the hashtag Harvesting Happiness.